Welcome to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. I'm Drew Carpenter, your host on the podcast for all kinds of ministers and other followers of Jesus who work in relative obscurity. My guest today is Jonathan Williams. Jonathan launched Forefront Brooklyn in 2012, and he's also dedicated to helping start other progressive Christian churches. He's a writer who covers religion and spirituality, current trends, as well as inclusion and justice issues. He's also written a book titled She's My Dad, A Father's Transition and a Son's Redemption. We definitely want to talk about that today. And I also want to get to the implications of obscurity and ideas Jonathan might have for dealing with it. Hey, Jonathan, thanks for joining me today. Yeah, thanks for having me. It's, it's a privilege. Awesome. Well, you agreed to come on the Obscure Pastor podcast. Why do you consider yourself obscure? I, you know, I, I think I, I think I land right on this, this cusp of, uh, you know, having written a book and done, done a couple of talks uh, across the nation. I land on, on this cusp of like maybe sort of being known, but still working uh, in relatively anonymous ways. But even more so, I think the idea of a progressive Christian church is a pretty obscure thing. And so as the leader of a, a progressive Christian church, uh, I think that that makes me feel like I'm toiling in obscurity sometimes. I know when I bring it up to others, they're like, wait, there's such a thing as progressive Christianity? And I'm like, yeah, yeah, there is. And like, first time I've heard it. So I think that's where I land more, more obscure, probably. Mm, well, that's interesting. Well, you know, you mentioned when, when I do these back and forth with folks that I'm engaging to come on the podcast, you mentioned something about how is one content on the obscure side when publicity is close? I'd like you to kind of answer that, but I, we could talk about that on my end too, I guess, because I've had a little bit of that, but it's, I haven't written a book or anything. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I'm interested to hear your thought. How has that been for you, being being in a sense that you're public in one sense and yet in another sense of running, uh, working anonymously? How's that work for you? What I tell my kids who are both in their 20s now, it's like I'm just kind of downwardly mobile. You don't get in it to you don't get into this to get notoriety. You get into this to serve God and um, love others. And I think the contentment for me kind of came when I realized. Hey, I'm not a great public speaker. I don't, I'm kind of an introvert. Part of that keeps you from getting, getting the networking type of things going and things like that. And so I, I started recognizing that fairly early on and just dealt with it and kind of said, you know, this is who I am. And again, one of the things that happened for me in ministry, and I think anybody that ever worked with me or for me, would tell you Andrew had me serving out of who I was, not out of something I wanted to be or some kind of, I don't know, stereotypical, whatever that pastor should be kind of, I think that's where I kind of get content is that I've lit, I've been in ministry for well over 20 years now, and I've done it mostly from a place of this is who I am. This is, this is how Jesus is working my life. And, I don't have to be something else. Yeah, and I think that kind of contentment is incredibly important. Um, in fact, I think that's, that's that's what we're called to do as servants, right? And yet, like I, you know, if I'm answering this question honestly, I want to maybe move into being more known. 
And I think I've, I've wrestled with this for about the past 18 months. Obviously, we have an interesting story of my father and I, but I think more so there are people there who, who, who talk to me who are like, you know, uh, I didn't know that I could, I could serve God or I didn't know I could even follow Jesus again until I heard, you know, you on a podcast or heard uh, your talk or, you know, whatever the case may be. Now that I've heard that, I know that there's hope. I know that there's a way that I can uh, serve in a church, even though I identify as, you know, LGBTQIA, or I can uh, be a part of, of a church that cares deeply about justice when I didn't think they were there. And I'm like, man, you know, obviously, like, uh, you know, being known as, as you know, it's, it's not a, a terrible thing. But at the same time, I'm like, I think, I think I want to get the word out more. I think I want to make my presence felt more because I think that leads to our church and uh, leading to our church or leading to our mission uh, legitimately and literally is saving people's lives. It's this balance, right? Of like ego and mission, like balance of ego and call. And I think on my best days, it's about the call. And then, you know, we all, you know, our ego gets in the way all the time. And uh, we start to wonder what it would be like if we were more known or whatever. So I think, I think it's living in that tension. Uh, and I think that's where I find myself more often than not is, is in that tension, especially in the past couple of years. That's interesting. And I, you know, I think one of the things that I gather from the church you're at and probably the churches you're helping to start, it's one thing to be progressive in kind of maybe an Episcopal setting or, I don't know, kind of a more mainline type of church denomination, but you guys feel very non-denominational, almost evangelical, if we can use that word, and kind of how you approach things. Is that accurate? Oh, absolutely. I, I think I think part of me and the calling that I feel like I have is is to rescue the word evangelical. Now, it might not be rescuable, but um, <laughs> but 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 I do believe that that what we have, the gospel that we have, is good news. And I think the gospel, uh, especially recently, has been watered down to to be thought of as maybe a couple moral platitudes a couple social stances and, and, and maybe a little nationalism thrown in. I mean, that's at least what, what popular America believes the evangelical church is. And, and I think like, no, there's incredibly good news in Jesus Christ. I mean, Jesus Christ was scandalous and political and more gracious than we could imagine, more loving than we could imagine, more inclusive than we could imagine. I want to rescue that, which means I want to be evangelical about it. I want to share the good news. Right. And like I said, I mean, in order to do that, I think we, we have to change the way people think about what it means to be evangelical. Yeah. I'm trying to wrap my, my mind around that because my wife and I have these conversations pretty often as well. And kind of having that evangelical strain in our lives that it gets kind of tacked onto the front of Christian in some ways that people, people of some persuasions automatically think as negative and they lump everybody into the same category, kind of like we do. I think it's great that you're, you're still in that, in that lane where you're trying to help people see that, you know, Jesus does love you and he loves you where you are and can work in and through your life. He can be a light in your life, just like he can be in my life. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. More so than ever, I believe this is good news. So, so how do we talk about this good news? How do we get the word out about it? Yeah, I mean mm-hmm. that's that's the call right now. That's excellent. Well, what would you what would you do? What would happen if you suddenly found yourself uh, 
getting interviewed on CNN or something like that. You weren't so obscure all of a sudden. <laughs> you know, um, I got interviewed, you know, we, we did a TED talk together, uh, my father and I, and then uh, we were on Red Table Talk as well, which is Jada Pinkett Smith, Willow Smith, uh, and Adrian's show. And, and so those two experiences were like, I was like, whoa, kind of a big deal. But, you know, again, like moving past intimidation and just being like, you know, this is a, a, a great place where we get to talk about our church. You know, this is a great place we get to talk about Christianity in a new way. Um, so take the opportunity. It was, it was exciting. It was different. It was fun. But again, I, I think in my best days, in my better days, like going back to that calling of like good news, right? I'd like to say that if it ever... If it ever got to a, a bigger and better place where I was, you know, a contributor on CNN, I would stick with that calling. <laughs> I also know myself as a human being who is in fact a human being <laughs> that it, it wouldn't always work that way. Yeah. Where do you, where do you find inspiration? Like who do you read? Where do you look to when things are not going super well? That's a great question. I think, I think theologically, like everybody else, Richard Rohr is a place where I started. Right? I think back in 2009, I read The Naked Now and it changed my life. There, there are good people out there. I think incredible, uh, incredible people that I'm, that I'm doing my best to listen to. Uh, Lisa Sharon Harper, Christina Cleveland. Um, those, those women are, are incredibly powerful and I think um, portray the gospel in ways that are incredibly good news. I think in terms of just being able to, to know that I'm loved, like to know that I'm loved by God, you know, reading someone like Brian Zahn, who wrote Sinners in the Hands of a Loving God, it's something that you know, right? It's something that you preach, but just a reminder like, hey, I wake up today and I'm loved. I wake up today and I'm God's child. That is uh, something that I need in ministry, as you know. We wake up and we're like, what are we doing with ourselves? <laughs> like, does any of this matter? It, you know, I, I'm an unhealthy person and just to be reminded that we're loved, I think that book did that for me recently. So yeah, those are the, 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 the first names that come to mind uh, in terms of people that I listen to or people that I'm reading. You know, I think about back to what we were saying, talking about earlier, you know, I was a missions pastor in Austin and we had this, this conversation around, okay, don't let your left hand know what your right hand's doing. But on the other hand, you have to let people know so they can get involved in the work that you're trying to do. We want people to be involved in the work with us. And somehow you've got to magnify the work as long as you're, you're doing that within the, the lens of Jesus, not just, Hey, look at what I'm doing. What would you do? What would you tell other ministers who are doing good stuff that might not even be, they may be more obscure than I am. I really feel like the ministers that are in our, our groups and networks today, the ones that are doing the really good work, there is a sense in which we want to be humble or a sense in which we want to, um, yeah, not let our egos get in the way. I keep coming back to that word ego. And at the same time, I think the call is so important, especially right now. I know that right now the vision for our church is, is we say we're ushering in the next 500 years of Christianity. And what that comes from is, you know, Martin Luther 500 years ago, Dale's 95 Theses to the Door, changes the history of Christianity. And we're at the next 500 years. And when we have a big, bold, audacious vision like that, yeah, again, uh, you know, we want to be integrous in the way that we talk about it. But we also want people to know about it. Um, 
And so for us as a church, we've made a decision really in the past 18 months that, hey, we're going to we're going to start taking advantage uh, of this vision that we've been given of this call that we have. And we're going to get the word out. We're going to let people know about this. We're going to we're going to create content that lets people know about this. It's not because we're sitting there and we're, you know, we're the Pharisees that are out praying in public, but because we honestly believe that lives are at stake because we honestly believe that the church is in need of, of a shakeup um, because we believe that, that this thing isn't, uh, you know, the church is still the greatest hope for the world. And if that's the case, then how do we reshape it? We, we still believe that the church is the greatest hope of the world. And mm-hmm. because we believe it, we, we want to tell people what we're up to. We want to tell people about our vision to usher in the next 500 years. We want to be, an iteration that we believe uh, will bring fullness and, you know, not to be right, but like to bring the kingdom of heaven. Like those are the things we want to do. And we live in a world where currency is information. And so we're kind of like, okay, let's start getting that information out. Let's start Mm -hmm. telling people about it. Because at the end of the day, we do believe it's going to bring a new iteration of Christianity and the good news. Excellent. Can we switch gears a little bit and have you talked about the book that you wrote about your dad? And you, it's really yeah. about you. It's really about you too, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Um, about our relationship for sure. Yeah. So in, t- in 2012, my dad, who was a pastor, uh, transitioned to the female gender came out as, as trans, you know, in the book, I talk a lot about how that, that deeply affected me, uh, and how, you know, after years of therapy, I can say that, you know, my dad was my God. And so when your God changes on you, it affects you. And so there was a, a period of, of just deep, deep struggle, uh, kind of coming to a place, you know, where hindsight is twenty twenty, where I recognized that my identity wasn't in God or my identity wasn't even in me. It was in who my dad was. So coming to terms with, with what that meant and, and with what it meant to to support my dad, even though it was messing with my own life and and so, yeah, there was a, a long struggle, a struggle of, of four years or so, four or five years where, right, I just didn't know what to do with the information that I had or the fact that my father had transitioned. And then at the same time, I'm going through this process where I see what's going on in her life. You know, she's, she lost her job, her, her best friends ditch her, uh, and, and seeing that, you know, she's in this place of life and death. And, and, and you know, I'm like, well, her job was in the Christian church world. And her best friends were, you know, pastors and, and people working in this Christian church world. Is this what Christianity is? Like, are, are we are we at a place where as soon as it gets really uncomfortable and difficult, do we do we ditch people? And I was like, no. And so really feeling like, okay, you know, again, I keep saying lives are at stake. You know, I, I watched it. I watched my father whose life was at stake, who, who was in deep depression, despondent after losing everyone and everything. And going, you know, there are other people out there who have lost everyone and everything. Their church has done that to them. And so we need to change this. So it's this juxtaposition, right, between me really struggling through something and yet me seeing that people need help in the midst of this. And then I would throw in the third thing, recognizing that as a white straight guy in this world, I have a, I have a decent amount of privilege. And uh, I think seeing my dad's transition allowed me to see that more. So the book is about those things. It's about, you know, some of the gray areas and in, in, in what happens when a family member comes out. I think on some respect and on some level. In the media, we applaud it. Yay, this is great. This person's living out their truth. And, you know, meanwhile, there's a family going, you know, what just happened? <laughs> what is going on? 
And so just, just bringing some honesty to, to that conversation as well, that, that there are, um, there's a whole family involved and a whole family is looking for peace, not just one person. Huh. So, uh, yeah, it's been an interesting ride, interesting journey. And, uh, my father is now back as a pastor of a church and, and, uh, doing well. So I'm thankful for that. And I'm thankful for our relationship. That all was happening as you were launching the church in Brooklyn. Is that when that, I mean, yeah. which came first, I guess. The church, yeah, the church came first. Okay. But we were, man, we were, we were three months old, three months old. So if anybody out there uh, has started a church, it's like, when you're three months in, you're working 80 hours a week, sometimes more. You're meeting with everyone. Like, you have no life. Like, you have no capacity. And then my dad was also like, oh, and by the way, I'm transitioning to the female gender. And I'm like, well, thanks for that. Three months three months into the start of our church plan. And so, yeah, that, I mean, that took a, a, a toll on me as well. It, it, was, it was hard. It was painful. Uh, definitely affected the, the culture and life of our church in some respect. I, I kind of try to end a little bit lighter. Some of these topics get a little bit tough. And so uh, I sure. would like to ask you, you know, who is your favorite musical artist? Oh man, geez. I don't know if I have a favorite artist. I have, I have favorite, I have a bunch of people I love. Um, yeah. Uh, so I, I love, I love hip hop actually. I love, I love hip hop. I, I grew up in the nineties. Right. And, and so there's like a lot of great nineties hip hop. So I was listening to that this morning and then I came home and I put on the Avid brothers. So I've I listened to a lot of Avid brothers, which is completely different than hip hop. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah, definitely. And then I think, I think this is kind of a funny thing, but, but I'm a, I'm a real big fan of the band fish, which is a jam band out there. Yeah. And so, uh, so I will put on fish all the time. I'll go to, I still go to a couple shows a year and, and jam out. So, uh, so I think all, all, you know, that's who I'm listening to right now. Um, and again, it's a weird juxtaposition between nineties rap music, David brothers fish, you know, I could go on with other, other bands, but those are the three. Well, it just sounds like you love music. So I love you. It's <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, awesome. That, and that's the thing. The, the thing is like, I mean, you know, putting music on while we make dinner, while the kids are playing or the kids doing their homework, like it's always on in our house. Yeah. It, it definitely, definitely creates moods for us. Um, yeah. And, and uh, you know, create, it's like, it's like a, some nice background music to our lives. Awesome. I understand. I saw something in a bio about you enjoying a good beer, a better story, and you're a devoted New York Mets fan. What do you have a do you have a, a go to beer that you like? Yeah. So I I live a, a half mile away from uh, from a brewery called Other Half Other Half Brewing here in Brooklyn. So Other Half is my favorite beer right now, and just pick anyone. That's the one. I can't drink it as much as I used to. Uh, a certain thing it. happens to us when we get older, man. It's like <laughs> it's like our metabolism stops or something. What's going yeah. on with that? <laughs> but yeah. uh, you know, so so one beer and the next day I'm like at the gym for an hour trying to work it off. Yep. Um, bread. So yeah, it is, man. Loaf of bread in the glass. But the the Mets are like my passion. So if I can get an other half at a Mets game, I'm thrilled. Which I can sometimes. That's pretty cool. I wonder if they have other half down here in PA. I'll have to check that out somewhere. Anyway. You know, I'm not sure. Yeah. Worth, yeah. worth finding out. How can people find you if you want to be found? Like what's the best way to connect with Jonathan Williams? 
on the internet. Right. Uh, so go to Instagram or Twitter, and both of those are at the Jonathan W. You can find me on Facebook as well. Jonathan is such, Jonathan Williams. I mean, I have the most common name out there. So you can find me at Jonathan Williams, speaker and writer uh, on Facebook. And then my church website is ForefrontNYC.com. And you can find out more about our church. Very cool. you have anything you would like to say before we wrap it up? No, you know, you know I'm grateful for this podcast. I, I got a chance to, um, you know, just do a little bit more research around it. And uh, I, I love the fact that you're, that you're looking for people who are doing really, really good work, um, but, not, but uh, you know, might not be getting the recognition for it. I think it's well worth it and uh, part of like this mission, right, to continue to, to talk about the good news. So thanks for your work in this. Appreciate it. Well, Jonathan, thanks for coming on, having never even met me and taking a risk with me over here. Thanks for doing <laughs> yeah. that. Appreciate <laughs> it, man. Thank All you. right. Have a great rest of your week. You've been listening to the Obscure Pastor Podcast. If you like the podcast, share it with a friend. Subscribe today and sign up at ObscurePastor.com for my brief weekly e-letter. It's a dose of encouragement and inspiration. You can also find me on Twitter and Instagram at Drew Carpenter. So let's be friends.